0: As Ken comes up, uh, I just want to in- introduce him. I did the, what nobody should do, I suppose, and uh, went and checked out Ken on uh, Google. <laughs> <laughs> and this... <laughs> and th- this was interesting. So th- this says Bishop Ken Clark, age 57. Oh. You, c- you can clearly see that's a long time ago. <laughs> This guy was right
1: up to date. just
0: discovered he's <laughs> living in the past. <laughs> this, is, this is from the BBC, where it says Bishop Ken Clark, a traditionalist evangelical, appears to be well liked by both Liberals and Conservatives. He's very personable, a good age, and would probably prove popular with the laity, at least in the North. He would be a safe pair of hands if that's what you're looking for in a primate. This was actually to be the, the head of the Church of Ireland all, uh, all over Ireland.
1: Thank you for clarifying that, Some of them are thinking in the
0: private ways. <laughs> it says, this assessment, on the other hand, may have sunk his chances. <laughs> this, is, this is from the BBC. If he's elected, he'll be hoping that his old nickname, Fanta Clark, remains a secret. Oops. <laughs> this tells you a bit more about Ken. Known to many as Fanta, not to be confused with a politician, he is the mission director for South American Mission Society, UK and Ireland. Despite what you might think from his youthful appearance, <laughs> <did> you <laughs> <laughs> he has been involved in Christian leadership for over four decades. He was Bishop of Camor, Elphin, and Ardagh for 12 years, and before that served in Chile, as well as Church of Ireland parishes in Maryland, Dundonald, Dublin, and Coleraine. And then it went on to say three leaders he would most like to meet, one of whom was Alec Ferguson. Can't believe that.
1: Yes. Alex Ferguson. you ever heard of You know, when I came in here this morning, I got such a warm welcome from Grace Fellowship. Brother, let me shake your hand. all alone I just, every sentence he spoke was about Liverpool. It really was. And all because years ago he heard me refer to Liverpool as Loserpool. But could I just say to the Liverpool guys this morning, all of you, well done. You're doing well at the moment. So well done. <laughs> and I hope you feel okay finishing second at the end of the season. <laughs> But uh, It is a real joy to be with you. Um, thank you for that introduction. I heard things there I've never heard in my life before. <laughs> I was beginning to think I was listening to Trump for a minute because I wasn't sure if it was real news or fake news. <laughs> but anyway, thank you very much. It is a genuine joy to be with you. And Helen, my one and only wife, is very sorry that she's not here this morning. She has commitments in our local church where she's very involved. Um, You were, uh, uh, could I just say to you folks, be so encouraged at what's going on here. Those announcements, I wish in every church I went to, I heard announcements like that. They were really stories of life, weren't they? A deck running to be mayor, pray for that guy. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? Another guy becoming a Christian through reading John's gospel, oh my word. I was sitting there thinking, I have never heard announcements like this before. Uh, In fact, I remember years ago preaching at a convention away up in the north of Scotland, and I came across a word I'd never heard of before. Now, some of you more learned than I probably do know this word. Every night, as part of the convention, we had the intimations. (laughs) Have you ever heard of the intimations? That's the announcements. And let me tell you, talk about tradition. Whatever else happened at the convention, there had to be the intimations every night. And those were the announcements. But they weren't anything like what we've just (laughs) been listening to this morning. So keep it up. Um, Last Sunday I was preaching in Dublin. And I couldn't help but think about this when I was listening to some of the stories and about the whole idea of going out and telling. This church, Crinkin, on the south side of Dublin, where we served for about four and a half years in the early 1980s. They've just put on a fabulous extension. It's absolutely wonderful. The founder of Fields of Life is the pastor of that church, Trevor Stephens, and some of you know. But in front of this new extension, they have a huge big lump of Wicklow granite. And when you're going into the building, you just see on the Wicklow granite these words, Come and see. And then when you're going out, you see the other side of the big lump of Wickrow granite, and you see these words, go and tell. Isn't that good? We come here this morning to come and see, see the Lord afresh, high and lifted up. And then we go out from here in about three hours. Is it three hours you said? (laughs) (laughs) That's only a joke, please. I don't want anybody having a heart attack or an epileptic fit or anything like that. I'm only joking, okay? And then we go out from here to tell because what happens here directly affects what happens out there. I often think the vision God has for the church is that we're a coming and going people. Coming and going, coming and going. Jesus said, Come to me and then go and tell. Go and preach. Go and share the good news. I'm sure you've often heard it said, I have, that Jesus never went to college or never went to a university, which is absolutely right. And yet, when you read that passage from Matthew that we read this morning from the end of Matthew 9, clearly Jesus was into PhDs, wasn't he? Because in verse 35 in Matthew 9, with this beautiful little cameo, of the ministry of Jesus, and I wonder, can you guess what the PhDs are that he was into? Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching or proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Preaching, healing, and deliverance. That's the Jesus PhD. And the whole church were called to be that kind of PhD person. We're called to be a church, a community of grace, as you have here, wonderful title, to be a community of grace that's about preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing, deliverance, so that people, and we've already heard it this morning, people being set free. Hallelujah, our God does this. He does not specialize in slavery. He specializes in freedom, and Jesus is the great liberator. Now, we're just going to have a look at this passage, referring to the passage we had from Proverbs 10. Um, I want to begin this way. Have you noticed that in Northern Ireland, and I know some of the men here are sitting here at the moment thinking, rugby, did Wales win or did they not? I don't know. I have been resisting a powerful (laughs) temptation this morning, and that is to look up on this to see what the score is. I don't always resist it but I have this morning, so I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out later. So you're thinking rugby, okay? And there's no doubt rugby is very popular in Northern Ireland. Soccer is very important. GAA is very important, all of that. But do you know what I think is one of our favorite recreational activities? We love looking at each other. Have you ever noticed that? If you doubt what I'm saying... Go up to any of the ports any weekend from Easter to Halloween. And you will find thousands of people who travel up to Portrush or Port Stuart every weekend. And do you know what so many of them do when they get there? Well, first of all, they try to find a parking space. (laughs) And preferably, they love to get it on the prom at Port Stuart. And then what do they do? Sit in the car and look at everybody else? Have you noticed that? And we also have a remarkable gift that I've never seen in any other part of the world. We in Northern Ireland see not only with our eyes, but with our teeth. (laughs) Look at what he's wearing today. Is she going out with him? Oh my, he's changed a lot. Oh, he looks very old, doesn't he? He's got, oh, oh, and on and on we go. Have you ever noticed that? And we sit in the car parks of the supermarkets, and we look at each other. In the bus terminals train stations, airport departure lounges. We love looking at other people. I first discovered that when I used to do what was called house-to-house visiting. I was a young curate in those days in Marlin, and you'd go just along a street calling at the doors. And do you know what I discovered? You talk about moving statues in the Roman Catholic tradition. Do you know what we have in the Protestant tradition? Moving curtains, you ever notice that? <laughs> moving curtain. You know, when I was going along one side of the street visiting people, I'd see the curtains moving on the other side. have having we juke. And do you know when you called at her house across the road, seriously, this is so often what I got. Oh, Reverend Clark, it's lovely to see you. I didn't know you were in our area today. Lies. <laughs> And if I hadn't called, I might have been the first Christian martyr there in centuries, you know? (laughs) Moving curtains. We love looking at other people. But listen, press the pause button. Let me ask you this. When you and I do look at other people, and we all do, does anything go through our hearts and minds and souls, honestly, apart from the trivial comments? You see, Matthew tells us, That Jesus looked at people too. So we're in good company. But when he saw the crowds, what was going on? Well, look what Matthew tells us. Matthew 9 verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Is anything of the compassion of Jesus in our hearts for people? Because as Jesus looks on the world today, right across the world, and he sees people, his heart is full of compassion. And one of the marks of the church of Jesus Christ is that what is in God's heart is to be in our hearts more and more and more. Honestly, tell me this, do we care for people? Do we love people? I mean, Jesus said two great commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. It's all about love. It's about relationship. When Jesus calls people to follow him, he doesn't say, will you sign this constitution? He says, follow me. It's relationship. And he calls you and me in the church of Jesus Christ to love people. To have our hearts stirred with compassion just as his is. Is that a mark of grace fellowship? We're calling ourselves a community of grace. Grace is about compassion and mercy and generosity, forgiveness. See, one of the things that breaks my heart, and I think more importantly breaks God's heart, is that sometimes there's a grand canyon between what we say we believe and how we behave. And you know as well as I do, so much damage has been done in Ireland to the cause of Christ because professing Christians haven't lived like Christians, let alone lived like Christ. And it does so much damage. And if anything is needed on the island of Ireland today, it's integrity, it's belief and behavior marrying each other, It's about people who say one thing, doing it, not doing something else. I would be a wealthy, wealthy man if I'd got a tenor for every time I've heard somebody say to me over the years, oh, so-and-so says he's a Christian, but I know what he's really like. I know what he's like at home. I know what he's like in business. Oh, I wouldn't go near him. And so there's a big chasm, a grand canyon between what we say we believe and how we behave. And we need to move on from that, folks. And if our hearts are stirred with compassion, as the heart of Jesus is, and like this, the famous Baptist preacher Spurgeon says, this is far, far more, the word that's used here for compassion is far, far more than feeling sorry for somebody or having pity on somebody. It's something so deeply stirred within us that it's life changing. And we cannot, cannot, cannot do anything but share the compassion of Christ with the crowds, with the people he loves and the people he died for. And how did Jesus see the crowds? Well, he saw them as harassed, or some people pronounce it harassed, and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder, has anything changed in 2,000 years As you and I look at people today in Northern Ireland on this whole island of Ireland, is that a description that fits today just as it fitted when Jesus saw the crowds 2,000 years ago? I believe it does, honestly. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. No direction. Confused. Stressed. Anxious. Tense. Lost. Sheep will not survive often without a shepherd. And especially if you know anything about sheep, and I'm not a farmer, but I did learn this, when a sheep gets on its back, it often cannot get up again in its own strength. It's helpless. It needs the help of another. I remember we lived in Coleraine for 15 years, and there's a great place. One of the things I loved about there, so many places to walk. And I'm sure you all know Downhill Castle, Mussenden Temple, beautiful place between Castle Rock and Downhill. There's a place called Bishop's Gate where you go into that land and there's a beautiful little gate lodge in it. When we lived in Coleraine, there was a lady in her 80s lived in that gate lodge and she did a lot of the gardening around there and she also walked around and checked. Sheep were all out. Helen and I were walking one day and I saw this lady in her 80s in the middle of a field trying to get a sheep up the right way up. Because the sheep was struggling, couldn't do it, harassed and helpless, and needed the help of a shepherd, just as you and I need the help of Jesus Christ to live. We can't make it alone. We cannot do it on our own. In July this year, on the front page of the Irish Independent, talking about harassed and helpless, the headlines on the front page were this, Young Irish women are the most depressed in Europe. Young Irish Woman, the Most Depressed in Europe. Isn't that an unbelievable headline? You know people, I know people, some of us maybe are here, and that's what we're struggling with. It's hard, it's tough, it's lonely. And one of the great blessings of belonging to the church of Jesus Christ is we know where we can find help, and we're in a community that hopefully will understand and support us and help us along the way. We're not alone. The flock of the shepherd will reflect something of the care of the good shepherd. Last year, I was involved in a leadership event in the Irish Bible Institute in Dublin, and five of us got the train down from the north for it. And Before we were coming back in the afternoon, we uh, went for a cup of coffee in Talbot Street, just across from Connolly Station in Dublin. Half two in the afternoon, I was up getting the drinks. The first two cappuccinos arrived, and I'm a wee bit sad at times. This will be an illustration of that. First two cappuccinos arrived. You know, cappuccinos, oh, now, the coffee wasn't bad here this morning. Please don't hear what I'm not saying, <laughs> but the cappuccinos, awesome. And the girl who'd made them had put a heart on the top of each cappuccino. I thought, this is incredible. And I had a bit of banter, but I said, oh, I can't believe that. A heart on top of the cappuccino. How do you do that? And so we were having this banter. Suddenly from behind me, and I didn't know there was somebody behind me, do you know what I heard? Somebody saying to the barista, when you're doing mine, would you please make it a broken heart? This is half two on a weekday afternoon in the center of Dublin. And I turned round and behind me was a beautiful young African girl, I'd say about 20 years old, who had spoken those words. And I looked her straight in the eye. And I said, do you honestly have a broken heart? And the tears filled her eyes. She said, yeah. Ireland, 21st century. And I said to the girl, I said, Do you know, I have good news for you. Broken hearts can be healed. Broken hearts can be restored. Never forget. That's part of the good news of the gospel, folks. Broken hearts can be healed. Broken hearts can be restored. But how are the people out there going to know that? There is such ignorance in the 21st century in Ireland about even the basics of Christianity. I met a friend who's ministered in Dublin over 40 years, and he said to me, Fanta, I'd love you to come and spend a month with me. I said, why do you say that, Horst? Well, he said, you wouldn't believe how Dublin has changed since you lived here in the 1980s. I said, what do you mean? Well, he said, I'll tell you what I mean. He said, people say Dublin is post-Christian. Let me tell you, it isn't. He said, it's pre-Christian. And that's true. There are so many have no knowledge even of the basics of the Christian faith. He said, I was with a bunch of young people recently. He said, I did a quiz with them. One of the questions I asked was, in which city did Jesus die? He said, not one of them knew. He said, I'll give you a clue. It's one of the world's most famous cities. One hand went up. Would it be Brussels, sir? This is Ireland, folks. 21st century. People are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Confusion reigns. Heartache, heartbreak reigns. And look at the challenge to the church that Jesus gives. He says, look, folks. And he speaks, Matthew says, specifically, verse 37, he says this to his disciples, to the believers, the followers, The harvest is plentiful. It's harvest time. But the workers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Folks, I believe with all my heart it is harvest time in Ireland. In my lifetime, I have never known the openness that there is in Ireland today. There's a breakdown of trust in traditional institutions, whether it's banks or church or world of education or whatever. There's a breakdown of trust, folks. There's a wide open field. We're living in a time of opportunity. Are we going to grasp these God-given opportunities or are we going to ignore them? According to that passage in the book of Proverbs, What's one of the differences between a wise son and a foolish son? Well, Proverbs tells us. Read those verses again. Chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. Proverbs ten five: A wise son gathers in harvest time. A disgraceful son sleeps during harvest. Are we going to be sleeping saints or gathering saints? Are we going to be disciples who's, who are listening to the words of Jesus here and going out in his name and reaching out? And could I emphasize, folks, it's with the compassion that we read about here and with the grace that this church is called. I remember one day in Belfast years ago, I was passing a guy giving out a tract. And if somebody, anybody's given out a tract, I always take it and have a chat with them if of time. But I, I, for some reason that day I thought... Do you know, I'm going to politely say no and see what happens. So I just very courteously said, no, thank you. You're going to hell. Well, I thought, my goodness, if I wasn't a Christian, would that have drawn me to Jesus? Simply for refusing a tract, I was told I was going to hell. Where's the grace, folks? Jesus was full of grace and truth. And in our sharing of the good news of the kingdom, we do it with grace. We do it with respect. We do it with the compassion of Jesus. Could I share with you one thing that I'm ashamed of? And please don't make the mistake I did. When I was a student at Trinity in Dublin, there was a guy I got to know a bit, and any time we were doing something special in the Christian Union... He saw me and I invited him to come to it, to an outreach. But I have to honestly tell you to my shame, he hardly ever saw me at any other time. And one day he'd had enough and I called at his room again to invite him to some special thing we were doing in the Christian Union and Outreach event. He let me have it. I will never forget it. He shouted at me and he said, Fanta Clark, all you care about is my soul. And he was absolutely right, and I was wrong. Because what I read here is, Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, and he healed every disease and sickness. Jesus Christ cares for our bodies, our minds, and our souls. And we in the church of Jesus are to care for the whole person. And do you know good news this morning? All over the world, Christian people are doing that. Take, for example, if we just see this, race. some of you will know Jackie Pullinger. You've maybe read some of her books, Hong Kong. Here's this English girl who heard God's call to go out to Hong Kong, to the walled city, to reach out to drug addicts, prostitutes, drug gangs. And what moved her to go there? Compassion, folks. A love for these people. She cared. She cared so much. She was willing. Look, love took her to the darkness of the walled city. She's been there for decades. If you've ever heard her speak, it's just so inspiring. And God has used her powerfully. Next, please, Rhys. I went up to a man and I said, Jesus loves you, but I realized it didn't mean anything unless I did it. You see, we're called to love with the Jesus love with the love of Christ, the people we meet today. Whether it's in the office, at school, or whatever, you love people because God loved you. We keep loving them no matter what. We don't give up on them. Folks who have family members who aren't walking with the Lord, don't give up on them. Let's keep loving, praying. As my wise wife says sometimes, there are times when you can't talk to your kids about God, but there's never a time you can't talk to God about your kids. Never. Next, Reese C.T. Studd, famous missionary. Some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. What moved him to do what he did? Compassion, love for people, seeing the harvest and being willing to go out into it. If Jesus Christ be the Son of God and died for me, then no sacrifice, no sacrifice can be too great. For me to make for him. Because of the cross, because of Calvary, because of Christ's love for us, we are willing to lay down our lives for him. I guarantee if I said to you here this morning, can anybody tell me John three sixteen? A whole lot of hands would go up. would rhyme it off like that. Now, here's a challenge. What does first John chapter three sixteen say? I don't want to embarrass anybody, and I don't want anybody to feel so good because they got it and nobody else did, okay? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others or for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is. Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us, and hallelujah, he did. But what's the challenge to you and me? To see the harvest, to have his heart of compassion, and to be willing to lay down our lives for him. I want to finish this morning by showing you something that has had a massive impact on me. Oh, sorry, just one more example. Reese. I forgot. The Jones family. You know, let's not think that in order to do what we're talking about this morning, you have to be a Jackie Pullinger or a C.T. stud. This is a family who live in Belfast, Tony Christine Jones and their young son, Daniel, who's one of my prayer partners and prays for me. Daniel can do hardly anything for himself. When I see what his mom and dad do for him, I see Christ. I see the love of Christ. I see two ordinary people like you and me laying down their lives for their son, Daniel, doing everything for him, lifting him, laying him, and I thank God. They won't hit the headlines. You won't read about them in Hello Magazine. But you know what they're doing? Faithfully serving Christ. Moved with hearts of compassion and investing in their son Daniel, who is so needy. Great young guy. This is what it's about, folks. It's not ne- God may call some of us to go to Moldova or China or India, or so, but he will call some of us to be here and to love our families, to love the people... We know in the way Jesus loves them, having hearts full of compassion. But what I want to finish with now is this. Um, This year, Helen and I both celebrated the 49th anniversary of our 21st. Now you work that out, okay? Sounds a lot better than saying the birthday I was celebrating, okay? And uh, in May, when I was celebrating the 49th anniversary of my 21st, we went to this concert. Reese will show it to you. It was called Oh, yep, yeah, next, no, sorry, uh, the Courage Tour. You all know who Stuart Tynend is, do you? Co-author of that great hymn in Christ Alone and so many of the other hymns and songs that we sing. Wonderful guy, Stuart Tynend. And the courage the tour that he was doing was called Courage, okay? I went along thinking this is going to be courage to witness, courage to re- do you know what, it, what it's about? The courage to be vulnerable. The courage to be honest. And one of Stuart Tannin's daughters who's had mental health issues was singing in the music group that night. Do you know when she heard, shared about some of the stuff that she's been going through with the four to 500 people who were there, you could have heard a pin drop. And then Stuart told us next, Stuart told us about his brother, Phil. There's Phil at the bottom in the blue shirt. Phil is one of Stuart Townend's best friends, one of his brothers. And two years ago in 2017, Phil discovered he had cancer of the esophagus, incurable. And out of this, Stuart Townend wrote a song. He really sensed God was prompting him. And he wrote this song, Keep You Here, as he sang it that night, God spoke into my life, honestly, powerfully. The tears were rolling down my cheeks. The song's called Keep You Here. But it's also about time, that the Lord gives time and he takes it away. And we want to make the most of every day. Live with compassion, see the harvest, be the people the Lord's called us to be. And I want to finish by showing you a video of Stuart and Phil talking about this song. And then they sing it together with some of their family members. And you need to know that Phil is now in glory with the Jesus he loved. He's gone home. He's not here anymore. So please listen. Listen to what the Lord is speaking into our hearts as we watch and as we listen. Okay, Reese, thank you.
2: Just over a year ago, my brother Phil, my big brother, one of three big brothers I've got, uh, was diagnosed with cancer of the esophagus and he was told that it was inoperable. Um, Several months later, I um, found myself writing a song that kind of described my experience of uh, responding to what he was going through and uh, felt it was right to actually gather the family together uh, to record that song, and uh, that's why we're here in the studio now. In order to capture it, in order for us as a family to express what the song was saying, um, but also perhaps to give a bit of an opportunity for Phil to talk a bit about the journey.
3: It does feel like, in that moment, almost like your insides drop down. Right? Suddenly, it's like a a world has just crashed. That's the initial sort of emotion was just that sort of completely knocked off your feet. (coughs) Suddenly to think that your life might be shorter than you expected it to be is quite quite interesting. I have to say that from the very beginning I felt quite a deep sense of peace and a sense that um, although this was really bad, feeling really thrown back on the fact that God was there for me. In fact, it was almost a, sort of euphoric for a while, where I was really very conscious of uh, God's goodness and kindness, which seems a bit of a contradiction when you just found out you've got <laughs> cancer. But that was my experience, and, and just had some lovely time straight away with, with Lynn, with the family. Because of course the the main feeling is this sense of time. You know, oh, maybe I've not got very much time. So every day becomes quite precious and uh, certainly spending time with the people you love. It might be an obvious scripture for people to say Psalm 23, which is the one that says, the Lord's my shepherd. And one little bit of it says, Uh, though we walk through the valley of death, we will fear no evil. And I am walking through that valley in the sense that death feels closer than it used to feel. But it's been true for me that I don't fear anything. You know, I don't like any bad things. And still, it's, you know, I don't know what lies ahead. But that's been a very important scripture and understanding, that uh, fear
2: no evil, because he's with me. Kind of, a, it was a, it's a strange process for me. This song is something very different from anything that I've written before. And uh, having lived with this news for a while, um, I actually heard somebody speaking about writing from the well within you. But well, I'm just thinking, what is in the well right now? what's going on inside of me, and what was going on inside of me is what Phil was going through. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, what do I feel right now? This song kind of spilled out in a way that it's never happened for me before.
3: So this has been a really special weekend. When I first heard this song, I just was so moved by it. And um, I, I knew that was an expression of Stuart's concern and his love and it was actually on paper what they as a family were showing to me anyway. And I said to them, I said, look, if you ever do record it, I'd love to sing in it. And uh, the studio said, yeah, that'd be great. And then here we are in the studio, families together, making music together, actually having a great time together. But also I think bringing something it has been special to us that hopefully other people can gain something for themselves.
4: I'd like to stop the world from turning I'd like to pause it with my prayer I'd like to turn the clocks to zero Do all I can to keep you here Silence the marching of the seconds That sounds relentless in my ears For time is given Time is taken away The least that we can do Is make the most of every day and we are given, and we are taken away The best that we can do is give ourselves away mm-hmm. 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 What good is time if we don't use it? To find the path within the pain Whoever keeps their life will lose it Whoever gives their life will gain
3: Not just a moment but
4: forever This love is stronger than the grave For time is given Time is taken away, the least that we can do is make the most of every day. We are given, we are taken away, the best that we can do is give ourselves away, for time is given. taken away. The best that we can do is give ourselves away.
1: Keeps their life will lose it. Whoever gives their life will gain. Jesus gave his life everything. And that night, I just sensed the Lord was saying to me, whatever time I give you, spend it giving away. And folks, that's his call on each one of us. I don't know how long the Lord will give you. I don't know how long he'll give me. I was at an incredible Thanksgiving service last Tuesday for a 32-year-old, young husband and young father. None of us know But what we do know is this, whatever we do for Christ will last and living for him is worthwhile. So I pray we'll go out from here today with our hearts full of compassion but with our wills resolved that we're going to be like Jesus and lay down our lives for him and for others. We're going to give ourselves away. What good is time if we don't use it to find the path within the pain. Whoever keeps their life will lose it. Whoever gives their life will gain. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, from the bottom of our hearts, we say thank you to you for you modeled what you taught. And you didn't just speak about giving away, you gave yourself away for us. Lord, I pray that you will anoint us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that we may be a people whose hearts are full of your compassion for others and that for whatever length of time you give us, we make the most of every day and we give ourselves away. Use us, Lord, for your glory, we pray. In your precious name.